0: Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and ten, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right, uh, price of admission, we get Iron Mike Stedman today. Lots of energy behind Iron Mike Stedman. He's the guy, uh, for those that don't know, that that has allowed me to uh, post all the podcasts I've been doing through his company, uh, <clears throat> Ironbound Media. And we'll get there. But um, you know, somewhat of a mentor to me through this process as I'm I'm learning how to make podcasts and uh, you know figure that whole that uh, that whole thing out because that's what he does now, right? Um, no, no big intro needed for this guy. He's all over the podcast scene, you know, all over LinkedIn. Um, you know, he's another Marine Corps officer, infantry guy. Um, someone that got infantry that, uh, and, and I did not. So that's like some of my, uh, you know, internal struggle, right? Cause Don't that's worry, what I wanted didn't.
1: to get. <laughs> you didn't miss much.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, your sound uh, sounds really good. So that's another thing I need to learn more about is, is sound. Because sometimes my guests on the other end, like I need to figure out how to get their sound right. So your, your sound's real good. Uh, Naval Academy grad, uh, boxing champion, big time at the uh, Naval Academy. I remember, you know, going to those boxing matches and, and watching Mike and watching him uh, persevere. Pretty awesome. Uh, nonprofit founder of... Uh, a Jersey, Jersey son, as uh, Jeremy Miles would say, um, ironbound boxing, right? So that's a pretty cool deal he's got going on, um, leading with a, a mindset of uh, being a, a thought leader and a Texas native, Tyler, Texas, that is. So, um, you know, we're here to talk about his journey a little bit, um, what he does today, um, wanted to talk about two things as we get into the summary of this, par- you know, of this uh, essay. Uh, one is your story in uh, Confessions of a Native Son, Always Faithful, Part One, Two, and Three. I didn't get through all of three. Uh, it turns out it was four hours long. I only got through one it's, hour. It's of that, actually so. five
1: <laughs> it's five hours long. Oh thank goodness, you. five thank you five hours service. long.
0: So I got through one hour of that, um, and then your book. Black veteran entrepreneur. So before I turn it over to you, I'm going to hit a couple of memories. You know, that's what I do. And I did get a couple of memories. I got one from uh, Ose Asante, uh previous guest on The Price of Admission. He said, uh, you are one dedicated dude. And uh, that y'all were in remedial swim class together. I don't that's know. That's
1: right. We were. Nice. They called it the inkwell. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> I'm going to let your minds wonder why.
0: Gotcha. Curtis Bass, uh, another previous guest on the Price of Admission at NAPS. Um, he remembers when Lieutenant Bray, was he was he y'all's company
1: officer? He wasn't was he? our company officer, but he's, he was like- He was a teacher. He was something. He was a teacher. And he was my basketball coach. There you go. Basketball and teacher. Uh, he
0: said- if, it, if anybody has the will and effort like Mike Stedman, you'll be just fine, right? Um, he also remembered, you know, around the time your mom had her stroke um, that you didn't let that phase you at all, that it just fueled you, fueled your
1: fire. We'll talk about that.
0: <laughs> For sure. Uh, a bit of a relentless success factor there. And then Jeff Lenard. So Jeff Lennar started with you at NAPS 3-2, the zoo, Naval Academy Preparatory School. Also a previous guest, you know, episode number two for me, uh, that y'all were in 1-8 together. That's right. Um, that you were extremely helpful in Jeff's transition from military to civilian life. So those are those memories. Um you know i want to jump into your story now and it's super high level because your story is like extremely in depth when you look at you know um confessions of a native son podcast always faithful uh part 1 2 and 3 um it tackles race culture experience somewhat of a pioneering of a of a a message that that people want to hear people need to hear um so I'm going to turn it over to you now. Just give me some of your high levels of what you from from confessions of a native son. What are the high level things that the people on the price of admission need to hear from Mike Steadman?
1: And we'll go from there. So I know you got a you got a script. You know Tony likes to he likes to prep. He got his little notes and everything. We try to took us tried like to build my flow, them. man. But <laughs> you got like me intimidated. It took him like three months to get this interview scheduled. He's like, I need my notes. I got to do my research and stuff. But before I answer your question, I want to say this, right? When I started Ironbound Boxing, right, we probably had like $300 in the bank account. Then I got up to like $800. And then one day, I checked my mail, and I got an envelope from Mr. Tony Haber. And I was like, what the heck? I opened the envelope, and it was like a $1,000 donation to Ironbound Boxing. No questions asked, no nothing. Just like, hey, man, love what you're doing. Happy to support. And when you reached out to me about your podcast, and I was like, bro, I'm going to help. Whatever you need, I'll set it up, whatever. You know, I believe in this lifting as we climb, man. And you didn't have to help me with Ironbound. Now, we got well over $800 in the bank account these days, but I never forget those early people. And I want you to know that I appreciate that. And that's why I'm always so given, because there's no way I would be in the position I am now if it wasn't for classmates like you. And by and large, man, people have been coming out the woodworks and supporting. And so I've noticed over the years recently as I've given back, I'm like, hey, man, I'll help you. No problems. asked. people's spidey sense starts tingling because now they're used to that civilian world where everybody's trying to get something from someone, you know, versus me. I'm just paying it forward, man. There's no ego in this for me. I believe in abundance. So if I can help people, I can. If I can't, I guide them. But, man, I just want to say that's how awesome you are because, me and you didn't really bump with each other like that in NAPS or in Navy. I feel like we knew of each other. But over the last year, man, you and I have been having some deep conversations. We've been fellowshipping one another. So it's amazing to see this platform take off and be a part of it in some small way.
0: Yeah. I mean, like in what I do today, I work with a lot of folks like what with who you work with now in Ironbound Boxing and, you know, taking people off the streets, giving them some, you know, some sort of motivation, some sort of goal, something to better themselves with. You know, that's what I saw in that at that time. And I, you know, I appreciate you calling that out, but um, yeah, you know, similar, similar, you know, folks that we're working with. And um, sometimes I, I wish that I had some extra support out of a community um like a leader like yourself that built that team up as you do so that's why i supported it so
1: but to answer your question about confessions of a native son man it's so interesting how we're at different spaces in our lives right like i listened to some of those early episodes and i was in a different space you know i started that podcast just before the pandemic i started researching it like a year before the pandemic right um but a high level, man, for me, that podcast was a way to, and I think it's my most important asset, actually. Like of everything I own, I think that podcast feed is the most powerful thing and most important thing I own because it really shares some insights into my mind and how I think. But at a high level, man, I just had to get some stuff off my chest. You know, this stuff that I hadn't got to talk to anybody about, um, everything from, you know, what it was like to be a black infantry officer in the Marines. And not feel like you're very good, right? Like, it's it's humbling now for people to say, oh, Mike's this hard worker, man. He's got this effort. But when I showed up to NAPS, man, I was falling the hell out of classes. I wasn't the smartest guy in the world. When I got to the Marine Corps, I struggled. It didn't come easy. I got relieved in combat, you know? So I went through all kind of a struggle. And the entire time I'm going through that process, man, I felt like I had to carry it alone because, you know, you've got the... Um, the embarrassment and the shame, you know, that comes with that. Um, you know, my whole experience in the Marine Corps, I described being a black officer in the Marines is like, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody uh, hears it, doesn't make a sound, you know, everybody's telling you you're successful. You're just black male, you know, you're a black officer, you know, good on you. You know, we need more people like you, but the environment just wasn't very nourishing if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what led me to Newark as well. I also think about, you know, what I was dealing with at the Naval Academy when my mom was going through her stroke. What was like? What was that like? What was it like being a black midshipman when most of the people that look like you that work on campus work in the back kitchen or the back office? Um, And so for me coming from the South, you know, there was just so much stuff I learned and I observed and I saw and me experiencing this world that I wanted a platform to share it and kind of own my own narrative. And so that's originally why I launched Confessions of a Native Son. And it's so crazy because little did I know, like, you know, that was me stepping into a new career for myself. Uh, You call me a thought leader. I don't really consider myself much of a thought leader. I don't like that term because everybody wants to be a thought leader these days. And I'm just like, write 100 articles or record 100 podcasts. But it did turn me into more of a public facing person. Um, But what was cool about it was because of the podcast, I felt capable of doing it in my own way you know because I, I let it off man you yeah. know um i don't hold it back and i, no, found I that people you. have more more respect for me and when i show up in rooms these days people know what they're gonna get so there's yeah. no secrets and so i just i feel like i've just created space for myself and that's what the podcast did it gave me agency because you don't see too many black veterans represented in the media typically when you know racial issues are taking place, right? Whether it's George Floyd or Michael Brown or discrimination in general, Breonna Taylor, you know? Original and usually when there are veterans uh, that are featured in the media, it's because they're uh, sharing one narrative, which tends to be more right of center than anything else. And Native Son just gave me the platform to be like, look, man, I live in Newark, New Jersey. I got a beard and at the time I had a Mohawk fade. No one knows I'm a, I was a former Marine officer, or Naval Academy grad, I get stopped, it is what it is. And so people don't understand what it's like to move in that world. Um, one of the reasons I lean so hard now in my education and reading and writing, I'm on this be so good they can't ignore you tip, you know? So coming from a position of authority that's earned and conviction. And so I know I just ramble a little bit, but I mean, that's the why behind Native Son.
0: Gotcha, no, it makes a whole lot of sense. And when I when I talk about you being a mentor to me, Something I took away from it and uh, I was like, man, I like the way he's talking. He's just like raw, right? Like made some mistakes, learned the hard way. I'm telling you about it. Um, and, and that's why I like doing what I do now with the price of admission is it gives me an outlet to yeah. kind of be me. Because uh, another part of your native sums around the whole corporate and like how you have to be careful with what you say. And I really don't like doing that. And, uh, so this helps me find that outlet, right. And, uh, connect with, connect with the audience and, and, and how I feel, because sometimes I question about how I feel just like you did right on some, on some stuff. So I got to pulse check it. And I think that, um, you know, not just the, the people that I get on there help me either, you know, make my decisions like grounded or they say, Hey, you're, you're full of crap. And, uh, <laughs> but either way, it's a good, a good way to, to filter how you're feeling and how you're working on things to make sure that you're staying true to your, your true North. So, um,
1: yeah, I actually could write a blog on that content creation as a form of self-discovery. And that's what you and this, I were talking about when you first launched the podcast, right? You know, yep. you got beat up a little bit and you're like, man, I need, I need some going, you know? And I was like, I think this podcast could help. Get your confidence back up. And I was like, absolutely, man. And you start going on this journey. And I'm listening to these interviews, man. And people are getting so vulnerable. There's just something about podcasts that make people kind of want to take off their armor and share their stories. And you realize that a lot of us have gone through it. You know, um, we didn't get to have these deep conversations with each other um, back in, you know, like we did back in school, sitting in the hallway. You know, you graduate the Naval Cabin and you're off to the world. But even at Navy, some of us have our guards up. And so to be able to hear people and be vulnerable, you know, it's been, um, it's, it's super amazing. Awesome. Um, part of your, your, uh,
0: confessions of a native son, uh, you're talking about where you came from, you get to the IOC moment. And for those that don't know, that's the infantry officers course. Uh, you go through IOC, um, and at graduation, you got this quote, uh, Somebody Said It Couldn't Be Done by Edgar Albert Guest. Yeah. That one stood out to me. Like, Because I listened to all the episodes. I'm like, okay, I'm highlighting this book, this audio book,
1: right? Why was
0: that one so such a standout for you, that quote?
1: Somebody said that couldn't be done, but he with a chuckle replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be one who wouldn't say so till he tried. And you got it memorized. Well, one, as a member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, shout out to my frat brother, Urban Singleton, um, We were, it was taught to us. And yeah. it's so funny, man, those poems from Invictus to Somebody Said It Couldn't Be Done to Man in the Arena, you know, all this stuff that we learned when we were younger. Man, when you're up against it, you realize, like, the power of those words. And so for me, I felt like I had a chip <laughs> on my shoulder at IOC because, one, it was in the winter. There were only, we started with four black officers. One got dropped. So then it was me, Craig Perry, and another one. Um, I I was struggling, and I was struggling publicly. That That's one of the things that's really hard about the Marine Corps is, like, you know, it's one thing to experience challenges head on. It's another thing to experience them and get rated by your peers, you know what I mean, and the instructors. And I'm not an outdoors guy at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not a hunter, a camper. None of that. I just want to be an infantry officer. Um, and so then you go up against the IOC and you realize, man, like, I'm not really good at this. This is struggling, I, you know, I, you just can't get ahead. Um, but I persevered. And there were probably some people in my class that were like, man, he shouldn't be here. He ain't gonna make it, whatever. And I just kept thinking about that quote, just thinking about that quote. And uh, it wasn't easy, man. Um, but when I, we had our IOC graduation, we all had to give quotes. And for some reason, man, that just popped to the forefront of my mind. And I walked up to the mic, I spit it, and then I left. Went to one eight down in Camp Lejeune.
0: Nice. And then you also talked about adopting a Roman mindset. I like that.
1: Um Yeah, Ronan know. mindset.
0: Roman. Ronan. Ronin. Ronan, Ronan yeah, Samurai. Ed- educate. Okay. Educate me on that. I saw Roman. I heard Ro Roman, like the Romans back in the day. Nah Ronin mind.
1: Yeah, so a ronin is a samurai without a master. So when everyone goes left, I tend to go right. I'm just uh I'm not a round peg, you know? Um I tend to stand out and when you're younger and you're feeling this way, sometimes it can be looked at as negative, right? Like everyone else is, you know, why am I just not like everyone else? You know, everyone else wants to go to community college or Texas A&M or University of Austin, Texas Austin, and I'm talking about going to the Naval Academy. You know, you get to naps. A lot of minorities, right? They want to We're all most of them recruited athletes, you know, wasn't recruited athlete at all. And then I was the only one that wanted to go infantry. Now, it's so funny. My man, Jordan Eddington, shout out to Jordan. He ended up becoming an infantry officer. But I remember we were back at NAPS and stuff. None of those guys wanted to do that. Um, And so I just felt like, you know, even going to the Naval Academy for my family and everything, I've just always felt like I've stepped out on these paths alone. Even now, a lot of stuff I'm doing around entrepreneurship um, and so I just adopted that mindset of a, a samurai without a master. You know, I kind of um, guide my own journey. Now, I am a spiritual person, but at the same time, right, I, I still like to make decisions for myself. And so I just kind of adopted that mentality, that mindset. And it does cause some challenges these days, especially as you start having partners, you know, my lovely girlfriend, Simone and everything. Um, but I actually have a giant Ronin samurai on my back. If you want to see the picture, you can check out my my Instagram. Gotcha. I right. totally missed that on
0: on Roman versus Rona, but now I understand it. So appreciate that. Um, you also mentioned in that, uh, you know, confessions of a, of a native son about how being the black guy in the white room. Felt. Right. So. I also have been following Goggins a little bit lately. Uh, yeah, David. Yeah. Um, and his his story as a seal and how he's, you know, pushed through a lot of stuff. Um, it seems like there's a similar experience there due to race. You ever met
1: Goggins? You ever, you know, been able to I interact did. with the guy? I met him once and he remembered because of your podcast. I think you had on. Glenn Woods, shout out to Glenn. I was in that program, Varsity Athlete Seal Training. Nice. Right? So that's where I actually learned how to swim. I sucked at swimming, but I was training um, through that program because they were looking at uh, – nobody knows this. This is my first time saying this, but they were trying to get me to go EOD. Nice. Um, and so they brought David Goggins in on a Saturday. They, who's they, a lot lot of us. who's they, Who's uh, <laughs> they? I will not want say no names. But there was a group of individuals, I think, that were trying to get a contract by uh, the federal government to get more minorities in the special forces. Ah, gotcha. And so they were a couple of Naval Academy guys. And so they would come up there and they would organize these workouts. Um, and so that was when I met Goggins. And at the time, he wasn't who he is now. Um, but it's so interesting when you hear these stories, you look back, he was building that process. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And. You know, for, for the group, for the listeners, I'm,
0: I'm sorry. I'm going through this, uh, you know, the story of Mike Stedman through my highlights of listening to his podcasts at the same time when we get to his book, it's the same thing. So my questions are related to the questions I have as I go through the podcast. I'm asking questions. I'm doing that now. And when I go through the book, I'm going to ask questions about the book. So that's what we're doing. Um, there's a part that you talked about in your uh, part two, peer-to-peer vulnerability um, with your lieutenants as a Marine. And, um, you know, the dog eat dog versus being vulnerable with each other, helping each other out. How did that play out for you in that situation when you
1: talked through that? So I made a mistake, right? Don't, Don't we all? When we graduated Navy, I decided to go to IOC right away. So two weeks after graduation. And part of the reason is, you know, when you're trying to reinvent yourself or make a new name for yourself, sometimes you want to separate yourself from the group, you know, and so yeah. I felt like a Navy, right? There were still people that didn't see me as like a Marine officer and, you know, I want to be this infantry guy, or whatever. And so I kind of wanted a fresh start because I was never, you remember we used to use the term Joe, right? My yeah. military skills weren't the best. You know what I'm saying? Like I. I mean, I graduated the Naval Academy. That was my dream, but again, you get there and it's a lot different, right? Like Jeff Lenard said, the grass isn't always greener; it's brown. But anyways, you know, I I felt like I wanted a fresh start at IOC. I mean, at uh in the Marine Corps, and so I went right after graduation. And what ended up happening was I was in the basic school and IOC with a lot of ROTC grads, a lot of um, you know, prior enlisted, that kind of have a perception of the Naval Academy people. Yep. Um, and I it's almost the same like, thing.
0: You know, like yeah. you know, even when I went through, I went through with all the TADS, the the guys that you know yeah. coach sprint, coached Navy football after that, and we went through with a pretty big group of uh, yeah. you know Rossi folks and. You know, it's, it is what it is, and right? some of it's ego,
1: right? They're like, "Oh, you got in, I didn't get in, whatever." Yeah, so that until, until you get in the boxing ring, right, Mike? Correct, right? So you get that now. You got that spotlight. You're black. You're an academy grad. People are are judging you, right? And you're dealing with that, right? And then you go to the fleet, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, of like. And I'm not going to knock my my fellow peers like that, but there was still just this competition, you know. It was like. Whether people wanted to openly admit it or not, but like somebody's gonna get ranked at the bottom. Yeah. Right? And it was just little, little stuff, petty stuff. Like, hey man, what are you doing for your training schedule next week? I don't know. What are you doing? You know, like (laughs) it was just I'm you didn't listen to the sir. You know? I'm like, can I see your training schedule? No, man, you should do it yourself. Just little stuff like that. You're like, all right. Yeah. When the Naval Academy lieutenants got to my unit, fucking night and day, bro. Yep. Night and day, man. It was all love. I mean, because here's the deal when you have built such rapport with people over such a long period of time, nobody wants to see you fail, yep. you know? So it really was this like, man, let's lift as we climb. We do our training schedules together, you know? Let's help each other out together. And the amount of love and support I felt from that, breaking bread, going to lunch together, and all that other stuff, I was like, damn, man, you know? But technically, I can't necessarily say I made a mistake because I executed my plan exactly how I set it out to do. I sweat a lot. That's one of the reasons I was able to get my weight down in boxing. Right, I boxed at light heavyweight, and I felt like if I would have went through IOC in the summer, I probably wouldn't have made it. So I figured the winter would give me an advantage, a tactical advantage around the sweating. So I went through the IOC class in the in the winter, and I was in Afghanistan. I got to my unit, we got deployment, and I was in Afghanistan. You know, uh, relatively quickly. I was probably with that first group of uh, Navy guys in Afghanistan, so my plan worked just like it's supposed to. But I missed out on having Navy guys and gals uh, have my back. The reason
0: why I asked really was, uh, and, and me and Ross talked about this. I had Ross on the on the podcast earlier, and he went to his unit, and he's trying to uh, you know build some healthy competition uh amongst his, you know, squad leaders, I think uh he was telling telling me about and and there's like a balance of building the healthy competition um and keeping the unit glued together, you know. And that balance is really hard to find. Um, you know, the rapport is like you said, like that's that's what it takes in order to build the healthy healthy competition. So first build the rapport. Second, build the healthy competition. Because if you do the healthy competition before the rapport, this is going to be a problem.
1: Right? Yeah. So that's what I was thinking about when I, when I was asking that. So. And my company commander, my second company commander, uh, my first one, you can listen to the podcast, but the second one, man, he was all about Bravo company. Like you felt this pride in Bravo company, you know? Um, And he was that way. So if one platoon was slacking, right? He didn't just go after that platoon commander. He'd be like, yo, we got to bring him up. You know, we got to bring up this platoon. And I felt that. And so, um, yeah, man, it is a it is a balance. Gotcha. Um,
0: you, you had a few references uh, and even Cameron from episode number one talked about it too. It's like, used to being the man. I'm used to being the man. I used to be in, like, I got all my stuff together. Things are going good. And when you don't get that, you hit that wall, you hit that like obstacle, you hit that environment that doesn't allow you to be the man, it can be really frustrating.
1: Yeah, right. Um, part three, can I say something on that? Yes, on go What for you it. just said about being a man, you got it. So I never consider myself a person to be triggered. But when you get to the Marines, people start talking to you crazy. Right? And I think about IOC. man, hurry the fuck up. I'm like, who the fuck are you talking to? You know what I'm saying? And I would say that like publicly around peers in the woods. Like my instinct is first to be like, you know, I'm this three-time national boxing champion, two-time most powerful boxer, you know, captain my boxing team. That field of play works at Annapolis. But now you're in the Quantico tree line, you know? And like you said, you ain't big and bad. But mentally I had to still... It was the last thing I had to hold on to sucking in the snow. And i never forget being on a patrol fax. And it was, the guy was taking forever on the directions. You know how you go out in the woods? And you're like, how much further? How much further? I'm carrying the saw. And he said something to me. And I wanted to, I really wanted to knock his head off. Right? But again, you know, that's ego at play. But I was not used to people talking to me like that. And ever since then, I still have my guard up around that. Like when people talk to me a certain way, Like, I have to catch myself uh, because I want to knock their head through a wall. Same. Um,
0: Different reason, probably different level, but similar reason to want to knock someone's head through a wall. All right. Uh, And I didn't finish all of part three. You know, part three is where you got relieved in Afghanistan um, as a platoon commander, right? Um, Tell us a little bit more high level what that was. Uh, I didn't get to that. I wish I could have. I uh, just didn't have enough time today. So,
1: no. Um, so, I was with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines um, out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Got to 1-8. Um, when did I graduated IOC in March. So, May of 2011, you know, we checked in. June of 2012, we were in Afghanistan, right? So, quick turnaround, work up. Me and my company commander kind of bumped heads. Um, He was a stickler. He was an IOC instructor. And uh, he was also one of those hard ass IOC instructors prior enlisted. Um, So he had a way of seeing the world that I just didn't see. Um, And so that caused a little bit of conflict. But then you're in Afghanistan and Afghanistan was crazy for, you know, I had I'm an idealist. Most of us are idealists when we join the military. Let's be honest, particularly military officers. And prior to that deployment, you know, we were told this vision of, you know, the Afghan security forces are taking over. We're setting conditions for that. And then you get there on the ground and it's like, don't trust the Afghans. They're fucking Afghans, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and so it's all fine in games, you know, when you're going on ops, right, you're kicking ass and taking names. But the minute you start losing Marines, stuff starts shifting. You know, and now you start to question the real why behind this stuff. Why are people getting blown up? You know, why are people dying, et cetera? Um, and stuff just doesn't make sense. Physically, just does it just doesn't make sense. You know, why are we going here to take this compound and then we're going to leave and go take another compound and take another compound? You know, you get over there, you know, you're not allowed to make night entries. You know, you're doing a night op. You know, EOD sweepers aren't allowed to sweep at night. Why are they going with us? You know, just all these contradictions that are taking place. And so um, you're dealing with the reality of what is war, right? And it's not as glamorous as people make it out to be. Um, it's not romantic. And we know this. People write about it. But you still got to touch that hot stove yourself because for infantry officers, war is the field of play. Nobody wants to train football and then never get in the game, right? You want to play. You want to show what you're made of. So you go to war and you go to do this. Get to Afghanistan, the op tempo, company commanders pushing, 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 pushing. And based off everything I said before, why are we pushing so hard? Why are we pushing so hard? You know? Um, And then, you know, um, my final op, right, had gone six months. Um, I make it to my final op. Day one of the op, my platoon sergeant hits an ID in his vehicle. Um, So he's out of fight. Now you got Lieutenant Steadman out there with. Uh, three squad leaders, no platoon sergeant. And you and I have been texting back and forth about sleep um, yep. and how, like, man, I made a lot of poor decisions when I wasn't sleeping. Doesn't was say. Um, and I just made, I was making poor decisions. You know, part of it was, you know, I was a mobile p- salt platoon commander, so we drove vehicles around. Um, and then you're doing a, a clearing up all day on foot, taking contact and everything. Then you get to your vehicles, and guess what? They got to go get refilled. Well, the naive Lieutenant Steadman didn't think it was smart to send his squad leader out to get those trucks refueled while he was at an OP sleeping because, God forbid, one of these trucks is an IED. Now it's a shit show while I'm sleeping. So what do I do? I go out there and get the trucks refueled. Takes all night. Little stuff like that. And so um, ultimately got to the point to where, like, I just, just made some poor decisions and then went op. Uh, in particular, you know, I didn't lead my platoon to the best of my ability, and after that, my platoon's my my company commander pulled the plug and said, "You're done." What was it? Um, specifically? And this was in Afghanistan. What was it specifically? Yeah, it was a clearing op um, in a place called Zerminda War. Um, I think we were day six into the op. Day three, we lost two Marines, not my platoon. Um, not my platoon, but the company, Um, a machine gunner, not machine gunner, sorry, mortarman by the name of Steve Sutton and Doc Eric Warren, um, who I both worked with. Um, But a couple of things, man, I just lost control of the attack. And I made a mistake that I never made again, which was I had stopped briefing orders. I got lazy, you know, because you're there with the squad leaders. You know how you go through TBS, you build the full five paragraph order. But we were doing so many ops every day, literally every day. And it became, you know, hey, gather around the map. We're doing this. We're doing that. Right. Instead of like taking the time to do the due diligence and brief a thorough five paragraph order. And so this particular op didn't brief a five paragraph order. Right. Just did my little frago. And then we got into it. Fucking squads pinned down, had to call in air, you know, got stuck in a compound overnight. Like <laughs> whole situation, you know, yeah. trucks couldn't get to the trucks, couldn't pick us up out of the wadi. We literally had to stay overnight in a compound um, because we couldn't get the vehicles to us. Um, and so then the next day, when we start to evac the compound, we start taking contact. Um, and ultimately what ended up happening was you're bringing up the memory now. One of my squad leaders yeah. crawled in a, a, a high Mars mission On the compound we're taking contact from and so it was like some of a movie like literally as we're spreading out the compound to the trucks the high mars are falling shits blowing up um and then when they went to do the bda is it bda battle damage assessment thank you right um there was no they didn't find any, any fighters in the compound but they did find a bunch of women and children but by the grace of god no one was killed yes but ultimately um that was the thing that put the nail in the coffin um, was that 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 mission gone bad? Um, and you know what's so funny? I'll tell you this, right. <laughs> so I end up going back to one. I got relieved. I end up getting pulled back into the battalion, like yep. a year later, and we end up going to Japan, and we have to train the Filipinos for Balakatan I have to set up this range for the Filipinos. They all got AK forty sevens, whatever. Put the targets up. You know, I'm not <laughs> so. And I'm like, all right, you know. On the whistle, y'all can engage your targets. They start shooting, and I realize I have no fucking idea where these rounds are hitting. So then we had to say, hey, aim at the dirt pile. We you start seeing the dirt pile. And then that's when it clicked. You know like you kind of part of this sick joke? You know, like everybody knows something that you don't really know. And, you know, in the movies, you see people getting shot at, and you see the muzzle flashes and all that other stuff. But, like, Mo, no, when Marines are in combat, most of them have no idea where they're getting shot at from. You're like, we're taking, you know, contact right. Everybody just starts unloading. And it's just the thought of getting shot at, you know, in your direction that makes people get their heads down. But that was a sick moment when it hit me where like, man, this is like, this is really is a racket. Because, you know, the squads, I mean, that's what Marines do. They say, oh, we're taking fire from this compound. And then someone calls in a strike or something. But again, yeah,
0: it's kind of like your uh, chapter 13 in your book, what it takes to win. Uh, the clearer you, you can make the objective, the easier it will be to convey the yeah. internal and external team members, yada yada yada, but like
1: clear, concise, make it easy, make it simple. Yeah, but uh, but it was all on me what happened in Afghanistan. And <coughs> we can talk about this how yep. the shift takes place in the civilian world, but as Marines, we're responsible for everything that happens, we own it, we believe it, right? And so, I was responsible. Everything that happened or failed to happen was on me as an officer of yeah. Marines, and I so I own that and I take that, um, and I share that story on my podcast.
0: I know you did, and and I'll get there. I just didn't get to it today, and and I apologize for not listening to it sooner. Um, but I've got one more memory from a guy named Jeff Lennar. Remember how I did the memories earlier? Well, I saved yeah. this one. This one that he said was, um, um and I asked him, I was like, hey. When Mike got relieved in Afghanistan, what do you remember about that? Because I want to dig a little bit deeper. And he said, that could have happened to any of us. And the decisions that you made during that time, that could have happened to any of us. Talking about the platoon commanders in that battalion at that time, decisions had to be made. You made that. And that's what he had to say about that. He also said that on a UDP, in Okie, um, like you were a cat company commander, that you were the man, that you were a stud. And a lot of lieutenants looked up to you during that time. So, um, I wanted to make sure I was able to share that. He said that, uh, also the power of the platoon
1: sergeant is so big in the Marine Corps, right? Yeah, me and my platoon sorry didn't get along. That was the other issue. Yeah. Um, well, I
0: mean, he, he's right too, because you know, I experienced a little bit of that. Not like I was in a in a situation like similar to you in any way whatsoever. Um, yeah. no, I didn't have the best one on a couple of different But you occasions. know what I'll
1: tell you that experience taught me where I'm thankful to God it, I did go through it. Um That was one of the hardest things I, I dealt with because I did not get to come home feeling like a hero. Um, I part of me there were times there was a small time in my life where I wish I would have got blown up by ID. And it was because of that.
0: I heard that part of the podcast.
1: Because if I would have got blown up by an ID 2 weeks prior. Shit. Uh a, you know, a couple hours prior or something. What would have happened? Captain Stepman's a hero. You know what I mean? He fought the good fight, served his country. If I got wounded, the guy that took over my platoon the day I got relieved got a purple heart because they took shrapnel that day. Right? They got mortared that day. Um, and he ended up getting a purple heart from it. And so naive, right? You lose your mind in war. Shit just doesn't. I'm telling you, you start to literally lose your mind. Um to think these thoughts, right? But I felt so ashamed. Um, and I had my peers and my lieutenants and the Naval camp, And It's like, yeah, I was a man in boxing, but now I'm this lieutenants coming home. I didn't want to talk to my own family about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody about Afghanistan. If you brought up Afghanistan, like I almost wanted to choke you out, you know? And I felt like I had my guard up, you know, because uh, you know how it is, man. People start talking rumors start spreading, right? And it was just like, I just did not want to fucking talk about Afghanistan. And I'll tell you too, man, I think I was borderline xenophobic for a little bit. And I didn't realize it until I was in grad school at Rutgers, and I'm sitting in class with... xenophobic. Um, um, You have a resentment or like racism towards uh Arab or Arabs or people of Muslim defen- uh, descent. Gotcha. No, I hear you. So... Because I felt I was mad about Afghanistan. I was mad about how I was coming home. The anti-hero. That's what I felt like. Um, I felt like, and I was mad at the people of Afghanistan for putting me in that situation. Um, And so I just had all this just mm, in me, man. I was like, it was bad, you know? Um, And I've never been one person about like mental health and all this other stuff. But as you get older and you start looking back, you like, was there something there? You know, like, was there? I just remember being on. I just remember that feeling of just being on edge, man, and like not even want to be around anybody. Like when you fell in public, you feel social anxiety. You know, like you don't even want to be around people. The reason I said I thank God that that happened, though, um, is because I took an L early on in life, a really, really hard L. Right. And I bounced back. Right, That was when I really kind of had to brace the Ronin mentality. You want to talk about going for being a platoon commander in Afghanistan on an op and getting made to be a rifleman, literally, right? On the, So you're carrying a weapon. Everybody knows you as the former platoon commander, third platoon. Now you're a rifleman. What is in your head during that moment? You got to eat it. You ride the bus, come back from Afghanistan. They make you ride with your platoon, you know, just... <laughs> not even your platoon anymore. So just all this stuff, right? You come back to your unit. Everyone's getting shotgun, the cat company, and weapons, you know, uh, weapons, and, you know, different roles. I'm getting out of battalion as quick as I can. Shame, guilt, all that other stuff. And so I lived with that alone for almost like a year Till they brought me back to the company. And when they brought me back to the company, the 1-8, to take over another platoon, Bro, I legitimately had PTSD, I think. I was terrified of leading Marines because the last time I led Marines was in combat, and it did not go as I planned. And then now here I am standing in front of a Marine Platoons, a platoon of Marines. So I said Marine Platoons, a platoon of Marines. And I remember the – you know, it's like shaky. When you're in shock, it's like a shaky feeling. You don't know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. It was like that. And I remember that, man. I remember them going for like a platoon run and me like shaming and like hiding in the office or something. Right. I was just so scared to get out there in front of Marines. But I bounced back. And so me going through all that early on, I didn't realize just how many of us as academy grads and military vets. But I'm going to speak particularly to academy grads because I think that's who's listening to this. There's a lot of us licking our wounds. You know. They hit that failure, and they just go hide. They don't want to come around classmates. They're just hiding, licking wounds. What was the key to you getting back out there? You know, where
0: was that turning point for you?
1: Oh, man. I will. uh, Remember what I said before about those lieutenants from the academy? Yep. You know? Um, It was that. It was that support network. Nice. Because by this point, Gardier Christian. And Guardia had his own struggles at TBCS. Um, and I talk about this in the podcast, too, of, you know, you get to basic school, team struggle bus, right? We're struggling. Yeah. But when I people are struggling worse than bus you. I your
0: podcast, too. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I when also like str- equivalent, I uh, also equivalent the uh, team struggle bus to the man, too.
1: So, yeah. But, uh, you know, when one's drowning, you don't want two people drowning together. And if one's really drowning, he's pulling you down. And so, Gardier, you know, my man Gardier was struggling at the basic school. He got recycled, like, twice, right? Um, Third time's a charm. Had his own struggles at IOC. And then he shows up at my unit. And he graduated a year ahead of me. So, we ended up at the unit at the same time. But when I got to that unit, I was trying to distance myself from Gardier a little bit, right? Because I just didn't want to be seen as that lieutenant. I got put as that lieutenant anyway. But Guardier, man, when I got relieved, you know, man, that brother, we roomed together. It nice. was me and him. Good. My boy, Philip Jones, who just won mayor of Newport News, Virginia. Nice. Right? Um, yeah. My best friend, right? Um, him as well. My, uh, so Philip Jones. Um, and my boy, Tom Payne, man, ride or die. And so this group of lieutenants, man, they just. <sighs> I just got beat up, you know? Um, and they knew no. I was beat up, man. And they helped me build my confidence back. So having Good. that support network, but it was also, man, just being in the hot seat, man. I was in the hot seat. nothing, And I was, you know what it was too, man? It's funny, you start talking about this stuff and it brings back memories. It was so hard being an infantry officer that first deployment, right? The company commander, you know, his, yeah. high, his way or the highway. And so I'm thinking that this is gonna be this all over again, which is part of the reason why I was so like in my head, because I'm thinking like, man, it's all happening again. It's all happening again, you (laughs) know?
0: (laughs) Well, another thing that Jeff said um, that I haven't brought up yet was like, you were in a lot of contact, like continuous with your platoon there at that, that first platoon.
1: Uh, It's all relative, man. You know, these Vietnam vets, you know, they were out of LPOPs. You know, they literally turned into a
0: politician. Look at that.
1: No, I mean, I, (laughs) I, we took contact. I got mortared. I got shot at. That stuff did happen. But maybe it's just this thing with us where we don't think it's a big deal. Right. Like that's what happens, you know, when you go to war. And I don't think like I didn't, I can't say like we fought off a hundred Taliban or anything crazy. We had some contact to some. Maybe it was a lot, you know, to me, it didn't necessarily feel like a lot. Uh, but I was on a lot of ops, that's for sure. I did step on IED, that's for sure. Um, it just didn't go off? It just didn't go off. And uh, I forgot to say this, man, my coming commander. I got cry talking about my coming commander, man. My coming commander, I got to that new unit. He brought me in his office and he said, uh, I know what happened in Afghanistan. And he was like, you're square with me. Awesome. And he viewed me from that day on. Whatever that man, his name was Christopher Wynn. I don't know what rank he is now, but that like that guy, man, he um he he really built my confidence. And awesome. this is how, something- how do you
0: do that? Like from a building confidence perspective, I think that's a huge thing in a lot of people, and it's not the same for everybody. You know, I like thinking that I know how to build my own confidence. And for yeah. me, that's stacking up small wins little one here, little one there. I, I build up some confidence. What does building confidence mean to you?
1: Well, for one, he addressed the elephant in the room that I was relieved in combat. You know, he knows what happened in Afghanistan. And he gave me a square deal. And he treated me just like everyone else. Didn't treat me like I had a chip on my shoulder or nothing. And he put me in the hot seat. He put me in the leadership position. You know, for for those of y'all that aren't Marines, being a platoon commander in the infantry is it. It's like the pinnacle of leadership in the Marine Corps. And they don't take that lightly. Right. Mm So um, even what separates the Marine Corps from all the other services, Marine Corps is like, oh, you want to do more slot? Cool. Lead a rifle platoon. Oh, you want to be Mr. Secret Squirrel? Lead a rifle platoon. All roads lead through a rifle platoon. And so for him to put me back in that role, knowing everything that happened, it let me know that there was still some trust there. And it okay. wasn't just him. It was the, the battalion commander as well. Um, just the way he treated us, man. I felt, you know, all these officers have that open door policy. Um, but you can tell when officer is like pouring into you, you know, legitimately. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel afraid of him. I think my first company commander I was generally afraid of because we knew how he was versus, and it's also, too, this also might be just the experience. Like there were things I would hide from my previous company commander because I knew how he would react, Yep. right, versus I, I did that this way. It didn't work out well for me. And so because I had that experience the first time, no matter how bad it was, I went to the company commander. and was like, hey, sir, just want to let you know, smuck Smuckatelli, whatever, you know, or this happened, or this happened. Right, and it, um, it just it just worked out, you know, um, and so I always think about you know the leadership I learned from him. Expect what you expect, you know, being available, like real leadership, and I think that was the thing that, sad, sadly, uh, was my biggest disappointment in the Marine Corps initially. You know, before we go, right, you remember being at Naps watching Band of Brothers? You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to watch Band of Brothers at least once a year. Captain Winners. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you got uh, the Pacific comes out. Captain Haldane cried. He dies. Right. Marines are throwing their Kevlar's down. Then you get to the Marine Corps, man. And some of these officers, they're not like that at all. You know, you don't feel inspired by them at all. You feel like you're surviving them more than anything else. But Captain Wynn was the first officer that I felt like, man, I will follow this guy through hell. You know what I'm saying? He comes. Have you read Matterhorn? I haven't. You read the book Matterhorn?
0: Just, I bought it. It's on my shelf. I just haven't read it. Rookie so mistake. I
1: know. Yeah. I if there. the coming commander came up, grabbed all the lieutenants and said, hey, get a couple of rounds of ammo. We're headed out. Let's go, sir. But some of these other coming managers are like, no, <laughs> I ain't going with you, sir. You got to That's that's on you. But it was like that, that real leadership and experience, man. And I'm so thankful I had that. And if I, if I would have had Captain Wynn at the time, he was a captain, Chris Wynn. Um, who knows what I would have done in the Marine Corps. But life yeah. works out exactly how it's supposed to be. Fate yeah. is inexorable. I agree with you. And, and you know, Jeff kind of mentioned that, too, with the
0: the whole platoon, platoon sergeant thing. And now you're talking company commander and, and that right fit. You know, yeah. the the recipe for success and where you're currently at. Like, maybe you didn't have that. and But guess what? Today, you've learned a lot because of that. Damn. And that is... Just you can't put a price on that. That's huge. So, so that's that's kind of the the tail end of the Native Son. Anything else in the Native Son um, that you want to you know talk about before we move on to your book? You
1: know, man, I think the crazy thing about that podcast is I've just grown so much. I've been through so much over the course of that podcast. Yep. I launched it just before the pandemic. I let out my steam about being a black marine officer. Then I roll into the pandemic. My gym gets shut down. My business model blows up. I had to launch a whole new business, right? Just all kind of stuff happened. But man, I think Native Son more than anything else is. People really love that podcast. It's still my most successful podcast. And I don't even release episodes nearly as frequently like I used to. Um, But there's something about the authenticity and not in a look at me, I'm important, um, I just think there's these universal experiences that we're all going through. Um, and I think when one of us starts talking about it, it gives other people the power to talk about it themselves too, or at least that sense of connection and, and feel like they're not going through it alone. So no, it's a powerful podcast, man. I gotta get another episode out. I have just been so much in the entrepreneurial hustle um, that I haven't got to record because I have to be, that is the hardest podcast for me. Native Son is the hardest podcast for me.
0: That's because probably why it's got the most listens.
1: Yeah, I have to, um, I have to be in a space to record for that one, um, and it's, sometimes it's hard to mentally get in that space. I hear you, gotcha. Cool.
0: Uh, something else that Mike Stedman, Iron Mike Steadman talks about is lifting others with your brand, um, how you lift as you climb, right? <laughs>
1: You know what I'm talking I was about? gonna say, what's the point? What's the point of making it to the mountaintop if you're the only one there? Some people celebrate being the only one at the table. I'm like, yo, man, let's get all these navy guys in here. What's up? You know, Tony, let's go, man. Why do I gotta be on one podcasting? Right? That's the opposite of the crabs in the barrel mentality. And I think what I'm finding out, the older I get, we assume stuff is just gonna magically happen, but it's not. You know, all those coaches you and I had growing up that were super impactful you assume that other people are gonna be there to replace them, but they're not. Yep. Um, there's no guarantees in any of this stuff that sometimes the culture people grow up in. I grew up in a culture where I didn't have a dad around and the the deacons from my church will come take me to get a haircut on Saturday mornings because for the black community, the barbershop is a place. You don't want a mom sitting in there, you know, taking a kid to get his first haircut, right? So that's the culture and environment I grew up in. Somebody needs money, to go see the Naval Academy, to go to summer seminar, right? Mom didn't have the money to send me. She had to borrow the money from someone else. And so seeing that early on, right, that's just who I am. And so I've just incorporated that mentality into everything that I do. Lift as we climb, lift up other academy grads, lift up my community, right? Like if I have the time, space, right, there's no problem. Even if I don't, right? I think it's the opposite of that Oh, once we make it, then we'll do all the lifting. It's like, no, man, we got to lift right now. Because then you'll never lift because you're always chasing it. Right. You you're not. Gotta, and that you becomes your lift. standard. Yeah. yeah. Your standard is you start lifting once you make it. Right. Versus um, those of us that are lifting all the whole way up. And so we're creating way more impact along the way. Yep. Awesome. All right.
0: About to get into your book. All right. Let's do it. So for those that don't know, Iron Mike Stedman has a book out there called Black Veteran Entrepreneur. Go get your copy today by Iron Mike Stedman and Elena Abernathy.
1: Alana Abernathy. That's your Alana. classmate. You better put some respect on her name. I'm sorry.
0: I missed I messed up <laughs> on that. I didn't pronounce it right. First quote at the introduction by a guy named Malcolm X says so our people not only have to be re-educated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself has to be made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least a business in our community. What we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the, for the people in the community and the reason why i'm calling this out is this is your introduction for your first book you put this quote right here what does that quote mean
1: to you for a couple things i think you know when you're successful black guy right you know what i mean got the navy background military background all the pedigree whatever people assume that you think and act a certain way malcolm x right tends to be more radical you know, before woke was a thing, corporate people started talking about woke. Back in the day, woke was like, yo, man, like, you know, black history. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, who Malcolm X is like, stay woke, my brother, you know, like that. And so part of it was taking agency up front and saying like, hey, the Malcolm X's of the world, the Huey P. Newtons, right. The black history. Um, I'm in it like that's I, that, that that fills me up. Right. So that's one angle that I'm coming at. The other thing was just understanding the importance of learning the why behind we should go into business. Um, When we go to the academies, right, we're not really thinking about business. We're just like we're serving our countries. You know, we're looking at MOS's, careers and stuff along that line. But then you get out into the the civilian world and it's just different. Um, And what I've learned just through being an entrepreneur is just how important it is to create jobs for people. How important it is for us to start businesses because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the whole racial unrest caused by the death of George Floyd put a spotlight on a lot of the plight that black and brown people have been facing forever. Sad people didn't realize that until that happened. Um, But one of the things I've noticed is that we have done very, I won't say very good, but there's been a lot of attention given to the social side of it. But the economics, right? And I feel like we're too far on the social and not enough on economics. We don't own enough businesses. You know, it's one thing to talk about, we need more access to capital. It's another thing to create revenue and start investing in other black owned businesses and founders and stuff. And so that's the mentality that I'm coming from. And I'm just trying to educate people to say, hey, what you do is important. Yeah, it's great to go get your little MBA. You know what I'm saying? work in corporate America, cool. But don't undervalue what it means to start a business and hire someone. From yeah. your community, to be a black veteran, go back to your community and start a business. That's what we need. And I wanted to empower people to think about that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I think about doing that all the time, but I'm too chicken to do it. So uh, you're on the right track, man. Um, chapter one, becoming Iron Mike. And we talked a little bit about that already. Um Fighting in, you know, fighting gravity in the environment. Um, low self confidence, chip on your shoulder. Um. You always seemed like when I, you know, had interactions with you at the academy during that time. You always seemed like you had a lot of confidence. To me, it was a facade, I... or is it just you know a show or? Did you have confidence at the
1: time? No, I think I had confidence for sure. Um, Good. But confidence is not permanent. Um, And Dr. Nate Zinzer in his book, The Confident Mind, talks about that. Like, I can be extremely confident in a boxing ring. Doesn't mean I'm going to be confident when I'm briefing an order in combat, right? It doesn't mean I'm going to be confident when I'm starting a new business in a market I don't know anything about, which I don't recommend, by the way. Um, But what I'm getting at is, when you're facing situations you never faced before when you're operating at the edge of your own competency it requires a different level of confidence like i i, I had a chance to speak to dr zinder when i was boxing at the naval academy i never read self-help books right i just fucking watched moto boxing videos old fights and i trained i trained i trained but then being an entrepreneur I'm always reading self-help books, you know, because your mind is everything, right? And I asked him why this is. And I was like, Dr. Zinzer, you know, I never had to do this when I was boxing. Why entrepreneurship? He says, because the variables, there's so many variables. You're living in a constant state of change. And now if I can just get one nugget, dude, I buy a book for $500. If I got one nugget that I feel like I could turn around, you know, I'm always, I'm looking, I'm searching. Jump into um, so, chapter
0: fifteen of your book. Always be learning. Uh, always, people, man. People don't realize uh, how a man's whole life can be changed by
1: one book. And who said that? I believe Malcolm X also. I think you're right. Um, but I was, I wasn't that confident, man. I was confident in boxing, that's why I gravitated to it. But I wasn't confident in the classroom. I wasn't confident about my ranking. Right. That was the other thing, man. It's so humbling when people say this stuff about me now. But dude, I was I've always been ranked low. That's the 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 thing that I struggle with. Um not now, but I struggle with breaking free from that chain. You know? Because it's one thing that like people call me, Oh, I'm a high performer. But when I was at the Naval Academy, I was never made to feel like a high performer. I was ranked low. When I got to TBS, I was ranked low. When I got to LC, I was ranked low. You know, so then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you're this high performer. And you're like, am I a fraud? You know, um, Yeah. why are I mean, people seeing this?
0: Did you ask, uh, you know, 10 times world champion Michael Phelps
1: if he felt the same way? I'm sure he felt the same way. Like, but he didn't go have paper. The- he didn't have the paper. That's the difference. It's one thing when you say you feel this way. It's another thing when people have validated in their minds and in their system that you are not, right? You don't, when you have that fit rep from Afghanistan, right? And they yep. say this about you and you read your your the people you're going through TBS with and they say this about you. And so it's one thing to think it in your head and say, oh, that's not real. You're just perceiving that. But it's another thing to openly know how people perceive you and they have it on paper and you have it as an evaluation. And so that's a whole nother level of mental garbage, um, that I had to break through.
0: Well, let's, let's flash back real quick. Cause you're, you're spurring a memory for me right now from your podcast back to the, uh, the range is one of your yeah. first big low points. And, um, when I was listening to that, you know, you, you check into your unit, you're just out of TBS, you go to the beach, you meet this guy, this guy's like, Hey, what's up? Thanks for playing with my kid. Um, I'm going to be your new commanding officer soon. And then you go check into that unit. He's not there yet, and uh, you get you know all of a sudden you get automatically slated to just go out to run this range for a couple months as the officer in charge of that. Uh, no explanation why, no nothing, right? Uh, obviously, uh, and for those that don't haven't re- heard the the podcast yet um you get pulled back in by the guy that you met at the beach that's an awesome story that's like you know things happen for a reason type of stuff uh but when you get sent out to that range to run it you don't get you don't get any feedback on that right and that's so important guys like listening folks like you've got to be able to anytime you make a decision Anytime you give some feedback, anytime you do anything as a leader, you got to be able to, this can't be a surprise to the person I'm giving feedback to. And that was a total surprise for you in that scenario, right? Um, you're coming in, you want to take over a platoon, and then all of a sudden you get sent to a range
1: for a couple of months. As you're talking, as you're talking, I, this is where I'm not this guy to even use the word trauma. So I'm going to just use it on this podcast. Because when Good. people start talking about it, I'm like, I don't like to go there. As you're talking, that shit is remembering me. I'm feeling it in my body. Got goosebumps? Yeah. I get goosebumps about it. Because, and I, I don't think I've ever said this before. That might have been one of the first times in my life where I was suicidal. I could see, not that I took any action, but you can see the demon. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm out in top cell by myself living alone by myself, just got fapped out to the rifle range with no and you, explanation. And you've worked your whole life for this moment where you checked. Worked your my whole life, everything. And then you all know, of a sudden you get slated for
0: something and you're like, what the heck's going on? No feedback, yeah. nothing.
1: Mom, you know, mama stroke at the Naval Academy, made it, graduated, you know, made it through TBS, made it through IOC in the winter, got to my platoon, finally, you know, and I'm coming out of the restroom and they have a driver for me. He pulls me out of the restroom. Literally, I walk out of the restroom, and the uh, XO says, 10 Steadman, you're getting fapped to the rifle range. So and so is here to escort you, right?" And so and so is here to
0: escort you is like a that's a dagger to the heart, man. Escort dagger.
1: Me. I'm a I'm a grown ass. And player. I remember what are you talking about. <laughs> I think I was in shock. You know when I say the world gets shaky and it gets yeah. foggy and that like what's going on right now that like just pure helplessness. Right. I felt so powerless. Right. Um, and I'm thinking as I'm talking out loud now, man, I think that's why I'm such a you know, I was telling you before we went live how I'm like a creature of habit. Yep. Right. Because I think I've had so many times where stuff has been ripped out of my control. Um, That I my safe space is habits, you know, and comfort. Um, But, yeah, man, it was brutal. You know, and I'm out there at the island by myself and like i said you can see the dark thoughts like not necessarily that like and when i say suicide i don't mean like oh i went out and got a gun or nothing but you can just see how you can let your mind go you know you're battling every day mentally um yeah. just you work your whole life you know. for
0: something that yeah you know you don't get good feedback on um you you know the pinnacle of that rifle platoon yeah. And then all of a sudden, you just like, without any kind of ex- explanation, hey, go to the rifle range. Yeah. This is your new job. It's like, yeah. I don't. And remember all those
1: lieutenants it, I, I checked in with? Remember all those lieutenants I checked in with? Yeah. None of them checked on me. Yep. Nothing. Solo dolo. Yep. So again, that Ronin mentality. <laughs> man, maybe I forced it on myself. I don't know. Maybe I was manifesting it. But that was just my safe space. Like I could just, I just had to adopt that mindset that, fuck it, I'm a Ronin without a master. I can do it. I'll be all right. You know? I got put in so many positions where I was forced to be alone that maybe I just, I don't know. Maybe I just institutionalized it.
0: Well, the good news is you're doing good today. Um, You know, we flash back to that um you know i forcefully brought that back up because i wanted to know more about it and uh thanks for talking about it but um sounds like that that beach interaction turned out well once your new commanding officer came in so
1: yeah and what it was was i after i graduated ioc in the winter i couldn't feel my feet i said i want to go somewhere tropical so I went to see my boy Antonio Koo in Hawaii. And I was out on a beach in Hawaii. And this little boy threw a football and I picked it up and I tossed it back to him. And then we started playing catch. And turns out that it was a grand, it was a son of my soon-to-be battalion commander. Nice. And so we talked. I met his wife, met the whole family and everything. And so when I went back to 1-8, right, that happened. He comes. Three months later, and it's like, where's Lieutenant Steadman? And they're like, we fapped him out to the rifle range. And he was like, what? And he pulled me back. And I walked into his office when we pulled him back. I was mad. Ears, eyes, bloodshot. You know, and it's so funny, man. People look at me and Mr. Veteran now. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And even I wrote that book. None of that was in the book. I don't believe. Yeah. Um, So
0: here's a, a flashback to Mike Matthews. Just be a good fucking dude. Be a good dude. Just be a good dude, right? That's what you were doing on that beach that one day, right? Just be a good person. Be a good human being, and it all comes back. And in this instance, it came back. Um, yeah. Obviously, it, it it takes a good good dude on the other end to recognize it. Um, But if you're doing the right things, it all comes back around in in my
1: perspective um and i think that's what you saw there i hope dude i was just doing my thing man i was just out on the beach you know that's all i was doing and it's crazy that it happened but there's that whole history in the marine corps that like one i don't tend to go back there because i get upset when i think about it um but when amongst friends and family like this like i have no problem going there um But I've had to learn the art of being magnanimous. That's Um, a big
0: word. What does that mean to me? I I don't understand that word.
1: Live and let live. Forgiving people. Gotcha. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you have to. You know, I've forgiven people. I've forgiven things um, that have happened to me. I don't carry grudges. Um, And so even though I'm more publicly facing on the veteran side of the house, make no mistake about it, man. I went through hell uh, in the Marine Corps. I just choose not to get up on stage and blast people about it, at this point in my life.
0: Gotcha. You are uh, much more mature than I am because I still like to blast folks. So
1: vibrations, my brother went to Jamaica, right? I I, we got vibrations, how did you we got go one, to Jamaica. Hey, one I'm, love, one love. You know, you're not worth my energy. You're not worth my time. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm still working through that. So uh,
0: it's good stuff chapter two of your book, the road ahead. Knowing what ideas to act upon. Kind of what we were just talking about. Uh, You say, Do not be like me. Because I learned the hard way. It's funny how that works.
1: Yeah, sometimes you got to, but you know, um, what I try to tell people is validate your business models as soon as possible. Make sure you have paying customers for your idea, not assumptions, not people who say this sounds like a good idea, money in the bank account, email signups. Because when I quit my job in 2018, at the time I was working at a private school in Newark, New Jersey called St. Benedict's Prep, running a residence hall of 70 teenage boys, I spun up a for-profit business model of ironbound boxing, teaching on-site boxing classes to companies in the New York City metro area. We work Spotify, NextJump, Etsy, et cetera. And although I had this grand vision, when I quit my job, I didn't have one single client. I had never stepped foot inside a corporate facility teaching boxing. And so I burned a lot of cash, liquidated my savings, um, a lot of stress and heartache around that. Ultimately things worked out, but now I know better. And I want you all out there to know better as well.
0: Gotcha. Now I remember that you, you called me once, it's like, hey, corporate virtual boxing, I'm like, dude, yeah, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> She's
1: like me. I'm <laughs> in a factory down. <laughs> He's like, bro. I'm like, I'm like, Tony, you, man. You know anybody at Keurig? <laughs> like, what?
0: Yeah, we don't no, do actually- that. We don't. We don't make alcohol or beer here. We make sodas. Okay, it goes. It's yeah, low cost, high speed. All right. Um. So from chapter two, the road ahead, going to um, chapter three, coming up with your idea, getting it on paper for you and what you do now, right? First, tell tell everybody
1: what you do now. So this is a great question. I'm a professional business coach and I'm a podcast builder. So I love launching podcasts for brands. Additionally, I'm a CEO of a nonprofit Ironbound Boxing that Tony mentioned, where we provide free amateur boxing training, entrepreneur education, and employment opportunities for Newark youth and young adults. I really I run a badass boxing gym here in Newark the Ironbound Boxing Academy. Um, That's what I've been featured in the media a lot for. Ironbound Media is our podcast production company. Um, And then I coach with an organization called The Lion's Pride.
0: Gotcha. And when you were uh, coming into those things, I guess, uh, from your book, coming up with your ideas, putting it on paper, When you put the podcast stuff on paper, how did you do that? Personally, I want
1: to know. So that's that's me. So how did I get into podcasting? How did I get this podcast idea on paper? Yes. So I read a lot. I read tons of business literature. I feel like I've read damn near everything at this point. And, and it kind of leads to why I wrote the book was I didn't see myself reflected in a lot of this content. You know, you would see uh, business books on marketing, branding, et cetera but very few of them were featured by black authors. Um, Why does that matter? It goes back to agency, right? We love to see ourselves reflected when they're profiling businesses. How come none of these businesses are black owned and stuff, et cetera? So I start to think about, well, how would you reach more diverse audiences in general, right? Because, you know, there's a whole history within the publishing industry of a lack of like black representation. That's why there's so many black bookstores um, spread out throughout the country. There's not as many as there was before, but there's a whole industry out there of black, black-owned black publishing um, to feature underrepresented voices. And so I started thinking to myself, well, maybe a podcast is a way to do it. Fast forward to Confessions of a Native Son. Now, that wasn't just business. That was also social commentary, but I planted the seed. And then I started thinking in my mind about, well, what would a publishing company of the future look like? Maybe instead of books, it's podcasts and I set this vision in the back of my mind. Well, when COVID happened, right, businesses fell for primarily two reasons. Number one, no market need. And number two, they ran out of cash. Well, the day they canceled the NBA, there was no market need for either on-site boxing classes for corporate or a free boxing gym in the inner city. And so I had to go into survival mode. That's when I called myself Iron Mike. You know, I had to give myself a little ground punch, remind myself I was a National boxing champion and Naval Academy grad and Marine officer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I spun up Ironbound Media. And what I did was the first thing I did was I basically white labeled Confessions of a Native Son and produced the entrepreneurial podcast for another organization. Once I sold that podcast, I said, "Okay, I need to validate the business model. Can you tell us what the other organization was? Yeah, it's called Bunker Labs. And it's a national network of uh, veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. Nice. And the idea I pitched them on was a show called The Transition, where I would demystify the entrepreneurial journey for veterans and military spouses as they make the transition into entrepreneurship. Like it. And so um, I came with this idea. And the other thing I looked at was, okay, Red Ocean and Blue Ocean. Red Ocean means there's sharks in the water. There's a lot of other players. Ads. Trying to monetize a podcast off of ads, that's Red Ocean, right? Because they're gonna be you're not gonna outbeat Joe Rogan, right? Just not gonna happen. But the blue ocean at the time I saw was production of podcasts because not a lot of people knew how the sausage was made. So it's like, oh, we want a podcast, but where does it go? How do we launch the show? What equipment do we need, et cetera? Not only that I I like
0: the podcast space growth from a media outlet, you know, standpoint is exponential versus news, especially news. News is going down. Podcasts are going up because people want the real raw stuff. They don't want something that's, you know, that corporate
1: painted picture news. So. Correct. And so I just viewed, okay, I'm not going to do red ocean trying to monetize off of ads because that lets somebody else tell you the value of your audience. I.E. we're going to pay you this per download. I said, I'm going to charge a fee, flat fee, for our production. No different than when people do websites, we do podcasts, right? So we came on the production angle. So I had this idea. I got the transition for Bunker Labs. I got another client. I got another client. And at that point, I validated the business model. I was teaching boxing classes virtually uh, for my studio, for my apartment. Um, But I stopped doing that once I validated the business model. And had enough income to replace the income I was generating from teaching boxing classes. And so I was off to the races on that. And so that's what we do. We produce branded podcasts. We set the show up for them. We coach them on um, how to build their show, you know, the strategy behind it and everything. And that's how we're able to monetize.
0: Nice. Awesome.
1: Great story. I
0: appreciate you uh, letting me uh, use your platform for free, by the way, uh, for for everyone listening. Um, so that was, uh, back to chapter three from your book, coming up with your idea into chapter four, the simplified business plan, uh, might be what you already just talked about. Chapter five, find your perfect customer. When people, and I really love this quote. Um, my, uh, HR business partner is a huge Maya Angelou, uh, fan um when people show you who they are believe them the first time good quote when you look for your when you're when you're looking for your customer you know right it's like you don't have to second guess it like when you know you know um build your venture to serve the one perfect customer you must enjoy them and they must value you, you say in the book. Right? So um, on to chapter six, build your brand. You've done that a time or two. Mark or image uh, doesn't last forever. Must be nurtured by FUBU founder, uh, co-founder guy. I don't know his name. Do you remember yeah, the name? Damon John. There you go.
1: Yeah, Damon John.
0: Um, Escaping the rat race. I'm all about that right now. I'm trying to figure out how to
1: do it. Um, Can I say a comment about the rat race? Yes, please. All right. I have a podcast guest um, that I'm dropping uh, from my other podcast, Dog Whistle Brandon. Okay. Now, there are people out there, you need to be on TikTok. You need to be on Instagram. You need to do this. You need to do this. That's the rat race, right? Everybody just loves to see themselves out there. The busy will. She charges $50,000 for half a day to meet with her. And she's booked up, like, months out. $50,000. And you know what she told me? She said she still doesn't think it's enough because people are too quick to pay it. So she needs to raise her prices again. I know it's hard to believe this, but the majority of people you see out there that are posting 20 times a day and all that other stuff, They're not who you think they are. All the successful business owners I know, they're not like that at all. And I'm worried now that people don't understand when you show up to the market a certain way, that becomes a standard of how you show up to the market. Right. And that's how you're going to you're going to be on that hamster wheel. And I told Tony, it's like, yo, man, grow your show. But don't be playing around on TikTok and Instagram and all that other stuff because it's not going to be fun anymore you know, and it's just going to be busy work. And so I'm playing the long game. I'm tr- my, I want my day rate, a hundred thousand dollars. That's what I'm working towards.
0: Nice. Uh, sounds like a good person to keep in your circle.
1: Mm-hmm. About the center email <laughs> and about the center email here in a, bl- a little bit, actually.
0: Nice. After I publish this send it to her and say, Hey, um, get this guy in your inner circle. So, all right. So that's, uh, build your brand. Um, Another piece of that was have a clear understanding of who you are for, comma, dot, dot, dot. But more importantly, who you are not for in that brand. So it's kind of like blocking out distractions, kind of like what you just said with the TikTok, Instagram and all that.
1: You think about this podcast, the price of admission. Right, that's a football saying. Navy football. If you don't like Navy football, bro, don't listen to this podcast. It's 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 clear as day. But we, when you become an entrepreneur, and remember what I said about that abundance mindset. Right, when you got that scarcity mindset, right, Um, you're afraid. You're like, no, 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 that could be that could be revenue. No, 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 that could be revenue, and you'll take any and everyone, even though they don't share the same values as you. They don't pay you what you're worth. They're a pain in the ass. That's what this is about, right? You're gonna get energized to start your business, but then customers can suck the fun out of it. And I'm trying to prevent that. I want people to light you up when they send the email or they call you because you're so lucky to have them as a customer. You feel it. They're so lucky to have you. Gotcha. Chapter
0: seven of your book, Position yourself to be positioned. And uh, a quote from uh, one of the Louisville, Kentucky guys, Louisville, Kentucky guys, Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. They said that even before they knew I was. Right? Awesome. Muhammad Ali, he's the man. Um... Design and dominate your own category. Demand is everything. Uh, I didn't know how to sell, turned into damning the demand. Um, into dog whistle branding, and how you have to blow that whistle.
1: That's right. What is you that? Create oh, your own category. Yeah, summarize that for us. We think that branding is everything, and it's not. Category. Everything starts with the category because category or how p- people are positioning you in their mind. So I'll give you an example. Positioning, right? I was at the Naval Cabin, running around the halls at Navy Prep School. First time I got yelled at too by upper yelled at by upperclassman. He's like, just because you're a recruited athlete doesn't mean you can da da I'm not a recruited athlete. I'm here because I want to get education. I want to serve our country as an officer. But because of his, uh, whatever you want to call it, his stereotype, he saw a black midshipman candidate and assumed that I wasn't smart enough to get in myself, that I was only there to, because I was a recruited athlete. Remember so he positioned one? me. I don't remember his name. He was an upperclassman. But um, he positioned me and I didn't position myself. Right? When you are thinking about your category and how you're showing up to the world, right? You don't want people to say, oh, you're like an Uber or you're like a this or you're like a that. No, you want to beat them to the punch and you start by thinking about your category. So if I walk into a grocery store and I say, oh, I want ketchup, I'm going to look for the condiment aisle, then I'm going to go to ketchup. What brand am I buying? Heinz, right? Tony, if you want to, if I say, hey, give me a Jamaican beer, what are you getting? Red stripe. Red stripe. That's category. You see what I just did there? So <laughs> hey, you, you shared a, a picture, of, you
0: shared a picture of you in Jamaica drinking a red stripe with me. That's right. So, so don't, but that's don't. a
1: prime exa- <laughs> Yeah, but that's an example, right? So when people are starting businesses, they're like, Oh, I'm Jamaican. I'm gonna start a beer. We're gonna we're gonna start some Jamaican beer. And you're like, dude, red stripe is already there. Yeah, it's the same I thing guess. with co- cola. That's cola. We're going to do outcoat Coca-Cola. No. But what you can do, you got two options. You can niche down in an existing market with strong demand, which is you could do a Jamaican passion fruit beer or something. Right. Yeah. Something tropical. Yeah. Some tropical or something. Or you can create a new category altogether. You know, organic Jamaican beer. Well, if you want regular Jamaican beer, cool, Red Stripe, but what's organic Jamaican beer? And now you're forcing them to to make a choice. And so what you want to do is you want to nail your category first and then build your brand around the category because that's what it is. Brands are synonymous with categories. If you want larger detergent, what are you probably getting? Tide. You want dishwasher? What do you want? Cascade, right? So good luck on beating those brands. And so rather than doing it like lambs to the slaughter, Carve out your own niche. And when Tony says damn the demand, that means, let's say, uh, and I'll use Dog Whistle Branding example. So a lot of my clients were spending a lot of money on digital marketing for little to no return on investment other than like, oh, we got these many clicks. We got this many impressions. And what I did was I damned the money that they were allocating towards digital marketing and got them to invest it into podcasting, which is why we have Dog Whistle Branding. So Dog Whistle Branding is a combination of niching down for veteran led brands, podcasting for veteran led brands and creating something new by combining the words Dog Whistle Branding. Nice. Like
0: it. I'm going to cruise through the rest of the chapters of your book uh, so we can keep this thing going. Uh, I'm going to pause on a couple different chapters, but uh, chapter eight. Create a menu of products and services. Chapter nine, customer activation cycle. Um, and here, before you catch a fish, and I like this quote, before you catch a fish, you better know what to do with it, right? Like, because sometimes, like, I love catching fish. And like, there's been a couple instances where I was like, I caught a fish. And I'm like, ah, it'd be so good to do something with this, but I can't. See you later, little yeah. buddy.
1: Welcome back. Yeah, they're like, oh, man, Tony, you and I should do a podcast. Cool, man, sign me up. Then you're like, uh, where are we meeting? Uh we'll, you know, am I doing a remote? Am I coming to you? Like, what what's going on here? And people don't realize that when you're an entrepreneur, you got to think through all that stuff ahead of time. How do you take a warm prospect and turn them into a paying customer? So when you're meeting with someone and say, man, we should work together. Okay, cool. What's the next step? Better have a map out for that. Yeah, better including, have the next step, right? Yeah. How are you paying them? You know, how are they paying you? Right. All that stuff you need to think through. And that's what the customer activation cycle is. Chapter 10, how to acquire your first 10 customers and beyond.
0: So you must have had to acquire your first 10 customers. And when that happened, you're
1: like, boom, chapter number 10. No, not at all. Okay, not. The thing is, most people don't want to admit this, but sales is really hard for small businesses. It's hard for startups, too. It's really hard. And the thing is, you can get ahead of yourself. Because people are starting to think about, oh, scale, scale, scale. It's like you don't even have any paying customers. You got to get 10 customers. I don't care if you got an MBA from Stanford or whatever. It's a whole different beast, you know, when you show up to the market. Because what's the saying in the Marine Corps? The enemy has a choice. So you're back there doing all your planning. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. You show up to the market and you get royally punched in the face. And so everybody has a plan until you get
0: punched in the face. And then. uh, That's right. (laughs) Then you got a backup plan. Yeah it doesn't work.
1: And then you got to improvise. Yeah, it's a. And for some people that have sales experience, that's going to be super helpful. But by and large, a lot of y'all don't. And so what does it take to get 10 paying customers? And what if they're high ticket customers like $10,000 and up? Right. <laughs> You're going to have to work it. And so I break down how to do that and then just repeat that. I always go back to that. Whenever I'm in right. a cash crunch, I'm like, yo, I just need to get 10 customers. And that maybe bleeds into
0: chapter 11, which is develop your flywheel. Um, yeah. The success through the consistent action, consistency. And I got this theme here within the podcast I'm doing with Price of Admission on consistency because the consistency is so important. You know, everybody can like show up one or two days, three days, four days a week, but the consistency is is where it's at from a leadership standpoint. If you can be consistent, fair, um, you know, your best self consistently, not saying like all the time, not saying like 24 hours a day, talking about between the between the lines, between the go, the start and the stop lines,
1: be consistent, right? Yeah. Uh, chapter I see 12. That with a lot of, I see that with a lot of social entrepreneurs. Oh, we got this great idea for the community. We want to open up this rec center. And we want to do this. We want to do this. Okay, cool. All right. What about six months from now? One year from now? Three years from now? Nobody thinks ahead like that. I already know what it is. It's a grind. You got to show up. Most people don't realize that. They just want to be there at the beginning. But sometimes that's even hard. That's why I talk about the flywheels. How do you get that momentum? Because it's like launching a venture is like turning a giant heavy flywheel. That's what Jim Collins says. And so it's hard. It's stuck at first. Then it gets going and you want to make it go faster. You want to make the flywheel spin. And that's your business model.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, I've done that too. I failed at that too. So I feel you. Um, chapter 12. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Big chapter, right? Be crystal clear about what you need tell the
1: story sell the vision yeah i think that chapter is don't be afraid to bet on yourself and it was a nudge for people to uh nobody's gonna save you you know sometimes you got a great idea oh if only got that venture capital money or da 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 listen if you're not willing to risk it why would somebody else be willing to take a risk on you and one thing I know for a fact, this is not something I'm pulling out of my ass. This peer-reviewed, right? Black founders have a terrible track record of getting access to capital. So we kind of have to go into this. Whether you we raise capital or not, we're still going to be successful. And so I just try to nudge people about how to do that strategically in that chapter. Perfect. Chapter 13,
0: what it takes to win. Uh, the... And this goes back to something I mentioned earlier in the podcast was the clearer you can make the objective, the easier it will be to convey to external, internal team members. Yeah. Keep it simple, make it clear,
1: and yeah, what it takes to win. You think about a lot of transitioning veterans, right? That's why they struggle, is what does winning look like? Don't know. Now you have to define it. it for yourself. Yep. Right. And then once you define it, what systems do you have in place to make sure you're getting there? So in that chapter, that's what we do. We, I tell you how to set up a cadence of accountability so that you know uh where you are on that path. You know, I hated YPs, right? You know, you get on the YPs. It's rudder, you know, you got the little rudder, but yep. man, you gotta stay on that line. You start drifting, you gotta bring it back. Well, how do you know if you're drifting or not? That's your meeting, that's your battle rhythm. So, you know, it's all nice and dandy to say, oh. Yeah, man, we want to make a million dollars our first year in business. Yeah, but do you got the systems in place to make sure that you're going to hit that? Um, And so it's the management. It's the leadership. True. No, I feel on that one. Um, Chapter 14, focus is
0: key. Uh, It's not about what you're capable of. It's about what you're willing to do. Steelers head coach. Mike Tomlin.
1: There's a guy named um, I forgot his name, but he says uh, he's a sports psychologist, and he says three things. Right? He says this is what he coaches athletes on. What does winning look like for you? What do you want to accomplish? What is I think is, what do you want to accomplish? How will you know you've accomplished it? And how much are you willing to suffer? Mm, that last one. Yeah. I think his name's Bill Betsky. I might butcher that. I think I might have missed the two first two. But I know the last one is definitely how much you willing to suffer. What do you want? How bad do you want it? How much you willing to suffer? That's it.
0: Chapter 15. Always be learning. And we touched this one earlier. People don't realize how a man's whole life can be changed by one book. Right? always be learning, always be seeking, look for the mentors. Did you have a special mentor or two that helped you like really gain a foothold in what you do today?
1: Definitely my business coach, Bill Watkins. Shout out to Bill. Um, also, my professor, Jeffrey Robinson, who I wrote about in the book as well. Um, I got a lot of mentors, man. They've been, you know, um, they're guides, right? Everybody needs their Yoda. You know, Luke Skywalker, the hero's journey. You go off on the journey. You meet a guide along the way to get you to this point. Then they drop off. You find another guide. So I have all these little guides along the way. Coach McNally from the Naval Academy. I needed him, you know. Yeah, so there's so really many good. people. Um, It's never just one. It's really like a combination. Um, And I feel like I did a disservice by not putting everyone in the book. But definitely when I think about the two people on my entrepreneurial journey that have been super impactful to me was uh, Dr. Robinson from Rutgers, and uh, Bill, my business coach. Gotcha.
0: Chapter 16, don't go it all alone. Get a business coach. Bill. That's right. Right. On to uh, 17, find advisors. Um, covering your gaps, looking
1: for areas where you lack expertise. You think about when we are at the academy, we had our company officers, right? You go in there, you meet with them, your grades, or you got your academic advisors. You know, people just kind of steer you in the right direction. Well, when you become an entrepreneur, you got to create that for yourself. Um, And advisors are different from mentors because advisors have more of a stake in the game. Mentors care about you, but like they're not committing to time with you per se, right? Like, you know, an advisor, yo, that's that 911 call, you know? That's that person you're breaking bread with in person. They feel the accountability. They have a stake in the outcome. So how does um, that work difference. for
0: you with the stake in the outcome? I don't understand that.
1: Um, so they can own a percentage of equity. You uh-huh. can uh you can pay them for their time. Um, you know, there's uh there's just there's something you're tied, you're actually tied together. Gotcha. It's more formalized. Gotcha. Almost like a uh, third party boss what it sounds like yeah but not even a third party boss it's more of like your personal board of advisors right these are the people that are looking out for you have your best interest at heart and are saying that like yeah i'm accountable hold me accountable so i have a board for my nonprofit, right i've got i don't have a board for my for-profit yet but i I probably will but like I, i work with paid advisors all the time gotcha that's cool. I didn't know that, so
0: I learned something today. Um, one other thing on the advisors piece for me, my uh, little chicken scratch note here on find advisors was that's the reason why I started this podcast because my guests are my advisors.
1: So thanks for being they on today. Um, There's no the the stuff we're gonna do together, y'all. I, I'm not even joking. It's going to come from this group, the people that are listening. When I think about my circle now, right, the the reason y'all keep seeing me around veteran stuff is because that's my tribe. um, And we help each other out all the time. Right. It's like, um, you know what it is? It's Game of Thrones. Right. House Targaryen. You know, why do they all stay together? Why do they marry? You know, you think about the old days. Right. Like marriages, arranged and all that other stuff It's because I would like to believe that my brother-in-law is not going to try to cut off my head. And take over my throne, (laughs) and so leadership. But at the same time, it's true. No, trust is real. Trust is real. And when you're in the civilian world, man, you don't have those same values like you had in the military. There is no military tribunal. There is no code of conduct people are living by. People are clawing and scratching, and then you throw money into the mix. Right, it gets dirty and ugly. And so when you're doing business. You want to work with people you can trust and like, damn, like I fucking trust Tony. I trust you listening to this show, you know, so we can do stuff together. Let's build. And so this is us now. But I'm telling you all in 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to be on each other's boards. You know, we're going to be cutting checks for each other. I just got back from the military startup conference out in SF. This stuff is this connection is real. And so that's in rant. Yeah,
0: no, I I definitely feel the, uh, I got stabbed in the back a couple of times. And uh, and yeah, and uh, on to chapter 18, find your people, which I think
1: you were just talking about. Gotta find your tribe, man. I don't we, like to walk around people. Hold, I don't like hold, to walk around people with daggers, you know? I'm good. Yeah, holding each other accountable, right? When I started this,
0: I kicked it off with a, hey, I was thinking about doing this, and I'm making it public. I'm telling you all about it. I want to be held accountable to my plan. I need you all to, like, reinforce my accountability to myself um, because it's so powerful when you do that, when you tell people, like, hey, I'm going to do this publicly. Not just think it, but go public yeah. with it. Um, chapter 18, find your people. Chapter Nineteen. Build your support work or your support network. The
1: strength of your business is based off the strength of your relationships. Boom! I'm make That's a big one. I'm gonna make a comment about that, right? My designer, Drew O'Brien, the the infamous Ironbound boxing logo, right? That everybody sees. I didn't pay him to do that, right? And at the time, he had run his design agency, um, and he was a solopreneur. You know, doing web design and logos out of his apartment or out of his house, whatever, in the back room. Now he's got a whole team. He's scaled up. But every year he makes time to work with a small business for free. And they typically tend to be veterans. So, again, going back to that lift as we climb, right, Um, you see it all around you. And, like, I was still early in my entrepreneurial journey. I hadn't even quit my job yet when I met with him that first time. Um, And so for him to do that, allocate that time to help me, taking money out of his own pocket, that's really powerful. And so who am I to not pay it forward when people come to me and say, hey, they need help with a podcast or something, right? So, like, I if I can do it, I make time. But I'm always helping someone. Better believe that because, again, there's no way I would be in the position I am now if it wasn't for the support network I have around me. Lift
0: As You Climb. I've got a similar story with the guy. I don't know if you remember uh, at NAPS, a guy named Justin Brooks. He was a Coast Guard guy. I do remember Brooks. Remember Brooks? Yeah. So yeah. As soon as I kicked out the podcast, um, he you know listened to a few episodes and then tied me into one of his audio guys that he knew from the Coast Guard Academy. The guy's name was uh, Francis Variccio, and he made my new uh, intro. I love it,
1: man. That's what Pro it's about. I don't know,
0: like it's just like okay. out of nowhere. Like, hey, this guy, you know, he supports what you're doing, and uh, and on random occasions, like I've got this audio problem, I'll reach out to this guy, and he's like, "Hey, I'll help you out." And it's just, it's funny how that build your support network works.
1: Yeah. Uh, and what's crazy about ways. it is, what's crazy about it is, you know how much I paid to publish my book? Three hundred dollars. Nice. Right. The crowd, it was crowdfunded. And the night before I launched that crowdfund, Alana and I launched that crowdfund. I was like, I don't know. I'm I'm on the hook. You know, I'm on the mm-hmm. hook for this money. Man, we fundraised that within like 48 hours. Nice. You know what it was? It was all that positive energy. Somebody called me today and said one of the guys that funded the book said, Mike, I just want to th- I just want to say thank you, you know, for helping me out early on. i was like dude you you know just you never know where it goes that call the fact that jeff lenar still remembers that call right dude i was still figuring it out myself but he brings up that call all the time about how much i helped him with his transition and all it was was me taking 45 minutes to talk with him and you know make space and time for him um and that goes a long way and so um You know, that positive energy you put out, man, you have no idea how it's going to reciprocate itself. For sure. Build as you climb, right? In the conclusion of your book,
0: The Rise of the Black Veteran Entrepreneurs, Um, let's close this thing out with culture. Can culture be
1: changed? What's your take on that? I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm really glad you asked this. I think it can be changed. But I think it has to be changed at an individual level. And an individual has to make the decision to embrace positive culture and separate themselves from negative culture. What am I talking about, right? Um, I've been podcasting since 2020. I've been listening to podcasts since 2012. One of the things I've noticed start to happen Lately, amongst urban media, so like urban podcasting, is beefs on the Internet. You know, people calling out this person, right? Um, Stuff is just getting, like, very tasteless. And it hit me the other day where we always assume that, like, a poverty mentality, um, a hood mentality is something that's, like, just physical, but I'm starting to see this stuff being taken to the digital space. And so that's why I think like, and I hope I'm articulating this right. If I'm not making sense, please let me know. But culture actually transcends the physical and you're starting to see it in the digital now on these social media platforms and stuff, et cetera. And to me, that's scary. And it's why I say, you as an individual have to make a decision to separate yourself from negative culture, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, 100%. I feel you there. I'm seeing it too. Like, I've never really looked for that until recently. Um, but I'm seeing it as well. And it's new for me to be looking for that in general. So...
1: Yeah, this is such a powerful medium, right? When I got into podcasting, people were just, 99% of it was like business education, right? So people are using it like in a positive way. And now to see it used in a negative way, almost in this like Jerry Springer type of whatever you want to call it, to me it's like, damn, this shit is not just physical. Like there's a world, like everybody's talking about like the metaverse and all this other stuff what happens when that people are bringing that into the metaverse we're gonna have projects in the metaverse we're gonna have trailer parks in the metaverse which is crazy to me um and that most people I don't even know if they are catching themselves with it um but I'm very conscious of it so here's my take on it right now
0: because i'm i'm kind of like um I was, I was gonna say passionate about it but like behind the curtain passionate about just you have to arm yourself with being aware. Okay. With what you're looking at with this whole digital influencing space. And if you're aware and you want to influence the culture as best as you can, just influence the best you can. Um, Your approach mindset to that is so important. Um, Because you can get sucked into those bad things, the negative space of that. Uh, And changing the culture mindset, you know. One, arm yourself, be aware.
1: Two, influence it as best as possible. Right. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Can you make people aware or is that something they have to seek out for themselves?
0: They got to seek it out for themselves. When I say make when I say be aware, I say make yourself aware. Yeah, you know, I was for, at uh, for me for for people that I talk to, people I mentor mentors like, hey, make yourself aware and influence the best you can. Now you, your people are going to make their own decisions, right?
1: And you can only you can only influence that so much. But I was I was at a coffee shop this morning. I go there pretty much every Saturday. Everyone inside that coffee shop, I and mean, it's a bougie one too, right? Like, nice food, everything. People take their dates there. Everyone in the shop was on their phone. Couples at the table, everyone's on their phone. Um, pe- There's a DJ there playing music. Everyone's still on their phone. And I have this conversation with my girlfriend. when We grab food, put the phones away, we put them in our pockets, stuff, etc. But, like, you feel like you take a, you look. And I'm like, damn, everyone in this freaking restaurant is on their phone right now. I'm like... Are they even aware of what's going on? You know what I would have done in that situation after
0: recognizing that? I would have made that- a really loud noise so
1: everybody could look at me for a second. Yeah. And then I would have said something funny. Like, why takes your, somebody out to dinner and y'all are just going to look on your phones, like not even talking to each other? All the girls are got their phones out. They're just filming themselves. And I, I grabbed the DJ. I said, look around, man. And I feel like, again, like, am I in a world? Am I in my own world, Tony? Are we the only people that think about this?
0: <laughs> no, I think about it all the time, man. It's, uh, and that's why I wanted to close this thing out with culture and uh, and where we're at today. So, um, I want to jump into to another a topic. I kind of closed it out with uh, Jordan Eddington the other day. You know, I was raised in, the, uh, in a background that was that had some bias. Um, at some point, I, uh, I took my kids to, uh, what's that called? Great Wolf Lodge. And I, I saw them hanging out with, uh, you know, some African-American kids. And I thought to myself, I was like, I won. I just won this game. You know, like, um, I was just super happy that race did not make a, an impact on their decision-making. And what I would say with raising kids for, for everyone that's listening is it's important to try and give them a worldview, um, with the Naval Academy and what we went through and that whole thing. Um, I am super, super happy and really, you know, grateful for having a worldview immersed in different cultures, the Afghan culture, um, you know, the Naval Academy culture, like people come in from everywhere to the Naval Academy, right? From all different, you know, avenues of life. And, And that's really, really good for people that get stuck in an isolated, really small world. Culture um, where I came from. And I just wanted to say that, um, yeah, I'm just glad I went there to experience that. And I would continue to give my kids the gift of world experience and push them to a live world experience because I think that's really important.
1: So, 100%, man. I think about that. It's one of those things like I when I was at the Millvet startup conference, man, me and some friends grabbed lunch. We grabbed dinner that night. You got a guy from China, right? Came here when he was 20, enlisted in the Marine, enlisted in the army, you know, and he still has a strong Chinese accent, right? You got another Marine Jewish guy, right? You got a black guy, right? You got all these different shades and color of people, and we're all breaking bread together. The majority of Americans do not experience that um that we kind of stay in our little pockets before the naval academy all the, and in the south a lot of black people lived on the other side of the tracks you know in a lot of these texas towns right and so i think and i'm just speaking out loud right your kids knowing your football background they seeing your teammates and how you talk about people they see the photos and all that other stuff they get a different experience than um a lot of people um and so man kudos to you so I know you're going to be a great father. You already are a great father. But it is important when you don't see that, asking yourself, okay, well, well, why? Or get curious, you know?
0: Yeah, my whole deal here is if I didn't leave Liberty Hill, Texas back in the day, I'd probably still be like that. Okay. But I'm not because I got out. <laughs> and I found a way out, right? So, like, to, to broaden my perspective, which is what this podcast is about, What your podcast is about is to broaden your perspective. You know, look at the what if versus the no, because. Um, What's the funnest part of what you're doing today?
1: I think it's the learning. I think um, somebody asked me the other day, what's my why? And I've been thinking about this, too. Like, what would I be doing if there if I had all the money? If money was an option, I'd probably go to school and I'd do a lot of what I'm doing now. I'm fascinated by identities, right? Like, oh, I want I see somebody that writes a book. I'm like, an author. Man, I would love to be an author one day. That kind of identity. Or a business coach. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, man, I would love to be a business coach, you know? Venture capitalist. Oh, I would love to be, you know. And the journey and the progress I feel when I'm going after hard identities, to me, that's fun, you know. The the to you know, and it's a hard. It's hard. This stuff is really hard. I don't even say it's easy, but the tweaking, the getting better, the making the progress, you know. I love that feeling. That feeling of like you're making progress, even if it's one percent. But kaizen, small, consistent. Incremental improvements, you know, to me, that's, that's what's fun. What's your biggest struggle today? What are you working through? All right. I'll tell I'll, I'll give a confession, right? I was thinking what prompt me to, what prompt me to have that question about what would I be doing if money was an option? I still wonder, like, I didn't, I didn't go to an NBA program. I don't have that elite Stanford NBA on me. Now, Grant, I, I'm a fellow at Hoover, at the Hoover Institution, Hoover Veteran Fellow. So I spent a lot of time at Stanford. I didn't go to Harvard. Um, and so sometimes I'm still in my head about like, had I gone to those places, how would I think? You know, like, why do I need that validation um, to get to where I wanna go? Do I need it, you know? Um, so sometimes like I, I go there mentally Of like, oh, if only I, maybe they know something I don't. Or like, maybe, even the fact that it's not that. Like, I don't think they know anything that I don't. It's more of like, why do I need that validation to go do what I want to do? Like, why do I need somebody else to tell me everything you need is already within? You know that if somehow i get that certification i spend that money now i can go do it because i proved it to myself why don't i just prove it to myself now so that's certain things i think about gotcha
0: last thing before price of admission i hope you've thought about price of admission i hope you uh, prepared what you wanted to say for that um, after listening to a few of those but there's a guy named blake carter that we've talked about a few times on this podcast. I'm about to talk to his dad um, pretty soon. I can't wait. But he came up a couple of times. You know, based off of your confessions of a a native son, uh, what you've gone through, do you think there might have been a couple of things
1: there that may have affected him? in terms of us graduating?
0: No, not just graduating. And I ran this past Curtis Bass before I Mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, actually ask the question, um, with the whole only black Marine in the white Marine room. Um, you know, the whole race thing. That may have, you know, challenged you in a different way. Um, You know, when I asked Bass about it, he was the D, Blake was the DCA um, for the ship. And he gave so much effort. Uh, Bass said, yeah, he didn't give him the recognition or like approval that he may have been seeking during the time.
1: So, I don't yeah. know how close you were to him, but... Um, that was my guy. Yeah, I told... I. T- First of all, that was the funniest episode ever, when you had Bass on. I was cracking up, because I remember Blake at NAPS, in that room, with all the tutors. I had so many classes with Blake, y'all don't understand. And he was working, you know? I mean... The Naval Camp is a hard school. It's a hard academic environment. I know some people can breeze through it, but for some of us, man, it was struggles, right? And from NAPS until he graduated, that man worked academically to the best of his abilities. Yeah. Um. And involved. so one of my regrets was me not being there for his extended graduation. Um, because I just remember this story where one of our classmates went to the graduation and he, I remember him telling me that Blake came up to him and was like, oh, man, thank you so much. You know, he was so appreciative of this guy, one of his company mates that came to his graduation. Like he was so thankful of it. And I remember him telling me, I think it was it might have been a Jeff Withington or another one. Um, but I remember him saying that like, Blake was so happy he would come to his graduation. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, man, this guy I've been through it with, you know, because all our parents used to hang out together. You know, me, Bass, Darius, Terry, like, you know, all the, a lot of the black people from Texas and from the South, Oklahoma, that's basically our sister, right? <laughs> um, but I do think about that, right? That idea of like, man, this is what it is, right? You can do everything right and still fail. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yep. Um, And how do you navigate that? And so you're working, you're working, you just can't get ahead, just can't get ahead, just can't ahead. And it sucks your confidence and it sucks your value. Um, And how do you navigate that? Now, how did I navigate it? I I fucking have no idea. I just leaned in, you know? I was, I I mean, I think it's a combination of things, right? I think I've always had that little engine (laughs) that could, you know? Or I just keep chugging along, keep chugging along. But, you know, when you are isolated and you're going through it, And, you know, and you think about someone like him, right? You go from that, that, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, right? I don't want to do any assumptions. I'm just, this is me just reflecting, right? Of people, when you're a black male and you go to a place like the Naval Academy or Harvard or Stanford or somewhere, there's this expectation that's put on you, you know, you're killing it. You're successful. People view you that you're already successful from just being there, you know, and then you start struggling. And you don't feel as successful nearly as people think you are or as you should be. And you feel like a failure. Used to be in the man. Used to be in the man. Now you're a failure. But guess what? You don't have a pedigree of being a failure. Right? So why is it, it? It shouldn't add up. Right? You're supposed you did everything right. You went to a good school. You served your country. You're doing all this other stuff. And yet you're still failing. And then you made a mistake. And how do you eat that? And then you're shamed with it. You're embarrassed about it. So who do you go to? And so you have all this stuff in your head and people make decisions, um, some good and some bad. And I just would have wished the thing was, you think about that time in our lives, we were not nearly as vulnerable as we are now on this podcast. See, this podcast has set the standard for this culture of how we can be with one another. Right. As opposed to, man, we always got our guard up, man, because in when that happened, that was what, 2014? I remember I was in my uh, I was in Okinawa, Japan, and I saw someone post on Facebook and I was like, what? I jumped up out of my chair. I damn near threw my chair through the window and I bawled like a baby. I had to call Darius Terry and his mom. And I, I was I bawled like a baby. I bawled like but a baby at the uh, funeral. All the guys were yeah. that, that. So yeah, I saw the photos, you, Jesse Wuji, there, all y'all. A lot of the naps guys, football. Like I didn't even watch first of all, I stopped watching Navy football after y'all graduated. Y'all were my team. That was the only reason I watched was because I, I went to Naps with you guys. I don't watch sports like that. Um, but I felt that bond, you know. Um, and being there when y'all beat Notre Dame, and so all those memories start um rushing back to me. But I just wish that he could have been vulnerable to us um like we are now with each other but you know his memory still lives you know we always still talk about Blake um and so sending positive vibes to his family um and to him as well 100 percent
0: all right last question what's your price of admission
1: Competing every day. Waking up out of bed. Every day is hard. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's, you know, um, getting that first victory. Whatever it is. First victory. Go to the gym. First victory. Getting that that project done. You know, responding to that email. Getting that deep work time. You know, this idea that, like, um, you got to compete, man. And I don't mean compete in the sense of, like, what were you did in the military, like somebody's gotta be number one, somebody's gotta be bottom. But just in this, like, this is a hard, unforgiving world. It's hard, but you gotta show up mentally, physically, and spiritually strong, and you gotta work. And you gotta give it, you gotta give it your all. And the minute you start getting lazy and start slacking, right? You can find yourself in a place that you don't wanna be. So you gotta wake up every day with that kind of competition mindset of attacking it you know um because anything worth ha- anything worth having is worth competing for and i told you when you launched this podcast yo i'm changing paying the man you know hey, i gotta go to the gym gotta pay the man yo man. It's price of admission the price of admission is paying the price now for who you want to be in the future you want to be a, you want to graduate from the naval academy cool you got to pay the price of admission what does that mean That means that 14 year old black kid, Mike Stedman, you know, um, overweight and obese joins a cross country team, you know, came dead last every race. But guess what? That was a price I had to pay to learn how to run, because at the time. Right. That's what I thought of the military. I thought the military was in shape. Naval camp was in shape. So that's what you got to do. Even business. Right. Like right now, like. Me announcing you all I'm a professional business coach is the price of admission for that hundred thousand dollar fee that I'm going to be come five years from now or sooner. Right. So I'm willing to pay the price and I'm willing to pay the money to do it. And so that's what I think about. It's like it's not just this. Oh, you know, you you make these statements. But like, are you really willing to pay the price? You know, what did uh what did that that quote I said? How much are you willing to suffer? That's the price of admission. How much you're willing to suffer?
0: The price is always paying. Um, What did you learn today?
1: I think for me, I learned how there's some memories I have that create physical responses in me still. That I still haven't worked through. So when you were talking and you were asking me certain things, because I don't go there much, um, I could just feel the emotion rise up in me. And then maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing either. No, you know, it's, it's But a I had this thing. quote. I had this quote. It's OK to look back. Just don't stare. Um, we all only have one life to live. And I never want to be that person that is blaming coulda, woulda, shoulda for something that happened to me 10 years ago. Or a year ago. I'm all, that's, that's really sad to me when somebody's been wronged by someone and they say it ruined their life. And I'm like, you let somebody rob you of a happy and fulfilling life because of how they treated you or whatever. I'm like, yo, man, lick your wounds three months or something, but your entire life. That's a missed opportunity. Um, and I don't want to be that person. But I I, I do feel the emotional responses of the stuff, the questions you asked me, um, and getting to the bottom where that comes from. Awesome. That means I succeeded tonight.
0: You won. And uh, no, no, I I didn't win. I I learned a lot about you tonight. But at the same time, my questions, uh, if it made you open up your
1: mind a little bit, then... That's a win, so. Um, and I'm just, to y'all listening, I miss y'all, man. The Jordan Eddingtons of the world. Um, the whole NAPS, you know, the NAPS 06 squad. My niece shacks of the world, man. I miss y'all. I swear to God. So I'm so happy this podcast is out there. Keep sharing y'all stories. Get them on here. Jeremy Miles, it was great hearing your story too, man. Glenn Woods, miss you. Um, I know you've been going through it. But, man, uh, we're out here to support. I uh, reached out to Glenn for a, a memory
0: or something. And he was like, LOL, I'm at lunch. I'm sorry. Uh, I can't give
1: you a, a good response. So I'm like, okay. I, you know what I remember <laughs> about Glenn? Talking to me in that sexy voice, man. I'm like, Glenn, stop talking to me like I'm a, a female. You know? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, hey, how you doing, Michael? No, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> Put some bass in your voice, man. When we when we chat on the cell phone or something, man.
0: Like the Rock. Yeah, uh, like the Rock. So, you
1: are uh, no longer a bachelor, right? I have a partner. Her name is Simone Gates. Simone. We've been together uh, for almost four years now. We are not engaged yet, but all roads lead to the future, Miss Stepman. Gotcha.
0: Tell Simone that I said thank you for your time tonight because I know how precious that is. And she's probably waiting on you to get off of this and hang it up and, and go up there. But um, tell the family I said hello. Will do, my brother. Thanks again for having me on. Awesome. Great podcast. Um, lots of learning here. Uh, I'll probably digest it within the next few days because it was so
1: good. Cool man. I dude. Take care. Later, brother. Thanks again, man, for having me on. Awesome.